0: Good morning. Welcome again to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. And as uh, Peter and Leah and others said this morning, uh, welcome. We are glad you're here. Especially if you're a visitor, thanks for joining us, uh, for checking out our church. Whether you know someone here or just live in the neighborhood or whatever it might be, uh, we're, glad. we're glad that you're here. I'm kind of stalling right now because I did not rearrange my notes in order from last service. So we're done. There we go. <laughs> right now we are uh, in a sermon series that uh, is short. It's three weeks long. What we're trying to do, what we usually try to do at the beginning of the school years, we kind of kick off a new year as lots of people have uh, checked us out, visited, joined us over the summer. We like to just uh, let people know who we are as a church. And so this year what we're doing is we're telling Hiawatha's story in three verses. And so um, whether you are brand new, this will be helpful for you to kind of know who we are, where we've been, what we believe, uh, our theology, what kind of makes us tick, what our values are. But then also, if you are not brand new or not newer, this is just a great reminder for all of us of, of our identity, of who we are in Christ, of why we exist as a church. And so, both for uh, veterans as well as rookies, we're, we're glad that you are here. And so we picked three verses, just singular verses, which is really hard to do, especially for preachers. Uh, We're trying to, in three singular verses, tell you a bit about Hiawatha's story, who we are, where we've come from, and then um, what we're going to do in uh, this series. We've done done this the past two sermons as well. We're going to tell you Hiawatha's uh, story, then we're going to talk about Hiawatha's values that kind of produce that story, and then third, kind of beneath all of that, our theology. And so we'll kind of look at this verse today through those angles. So far, what we've done is we've looked at Acts 4:13 in our first, uh, first sermon a couple weeks ago, which says, "Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, and they perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astounded, they're astonished. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And so in that first week, we talked about how we're not necessarily that special of people. We're just random. Uh, normal people, yet we have been with Jesus, and that changes everything. And the second week, we uh, our verse, we looked at 1 Corinthians 2 2, which Paul, uh, one of the apostles, writing to a church that he loves deeply, saying, When I was with you, when I helped plant your church, when I was your pastor, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him. Crucified. So we shared about how the core of, of who we are as a people and as a church is we are people of the cross. We are Christians that worship a Savior who died on the cross as the, the greatest moment in uh, human history and is uh, a part of our um, bullseye in what we do in ministry and in life, how we understand the Bible, and much more. So if you're interested in either of those, those are online on our website or on our sound a soundcloud account if you'd like to listen to them but today we're gonna to look at another verse a verse in john so we took a break from john and then couldn't help but go back into john because uh, this verse is just so great and uh, just typifies who we are as a church and so we're gonna look at john thirteen thirty four, and we're entitling this sermon big love so all of our sermons so far in this series have kind of been two words so big love all right, uh, we're going to read our verse and then get started. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, John 13, 34. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So this verse, it's Jesus speaking. It's, you, even if you're not a Christian here, you maybe know that Jesus is kind of all about love, and he tells people to love one another. And so uh, very important thing that Jesus is teaching and thing that he's doing. We're going to unpack that a little bit later on in the sermon. But as we kind of start this sermon, hitting on Hiawatha's history uh, and how this verse and this theology uh, impacted us, uh, we were a church that's 16 years old. We started as a church plant, which just means we were a brand new church that started where one didn't exist. And so we're 16 years old. And as we, a group of about 25 people, were starting to, uh, live as a church, gather as a church, worship as a church. Um, we were a, a church plant that deeply desired to help each other persevere in the faith. And so as we talk about our history, uh, Chris did this last week with matching up the letters just nice. So I, I did too. So as we talk about our history, kind of three things around this idea, uh, Philippians, perseverance, and Panera. And so we, as, as a young church plant, we uh, had a big value, a deep desire to love other Christians, to fight for unity, to serve one another, to help each other grow and persevere in the faith. And while we did have an outward focus as well, many church plants, when they start, like they're especially trying to do evangelism, especially trying to reach their neighborhood or city. And of course, we still did that as well, yet we also had a strong desire to also be inward focused not only try to reach the neighbors and and uh do evangelism and missional living etc but also we had a strong inward uh focusedness where we wanted to care for each other as well or to use jesus's language here that we would love one another so not just neighbors not just outsiders not just the world but Jesus' command here is pretty specific he's, he's saying these words intentionally just as i have loved you christian Love other Christians. Love one another. And so this idea here with Jesus is, is kind of expounded upon in the book of Philippians, which was important to us early on. Uh, so Philippians is written after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And so now Paul, writing to this church in Philippi, is kind of able to just see big picture. Uh, so Jesus says this, and now after his death and resurrection, Paul's kind of writing and he's saying, hey, there's, there's even more to it than what Jesus said, let's, let's talk about exactly how Jesus first loved us and what that looked like, what that accomplished. So Philippians 2 is a great passage for us that helped shape who we are. So let's read from that. Philippians 2, starting in uh, verse 1, says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here in Philippians, it's just kind of, uh, if John 13 was like a hyperlink, we click on that. Uh, Philippians 2 kind of expands and helps us even more understand what Jesus is saying there. And he, Philippians is teaching here as well as John 13 that Jesus is calling his people, his disciples, to have a great love, a big love, especially for those within the church. So Philippians 2 starts off by saying things like, uh, "Consider others' interest as more important than your own. Never be selfish." Some, some, some like pretty intense, uh, great commands, yet really hard to do. But he's sharing that to a church to do it towards others, to love others within the church. But it sounds, I mean, if, if we're honest with ourselves, this actually sounds a little bit scary. Or maybe you feel crushed right off the bat by saying, man, even this morning, I have definitely not thought of others' needs as more important than my own. Or I've been uh, in disunity with people in this room or people in my household. But Philippians continues to tell us the why. It's not just a bunch of new rules that Christians follow, but Philippians gives us the why, just like Jesus does in John 13. So Philippians 2 continues, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in him, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the why, just like in John 13, love others because Jesus has first loved you. In Philippians, we see this as well. Love each other. Have unity with each other. Fight for each other. Don't be selfish because Jesus first did that for you. He denied himself. He'd emptied himself. Though he was fully God, he added humanity to his divinity. He came into the world, not that as a king, but as a servant. He humbled himself and he even died for us. So because of what happens at the end of uh, second, or, uh, Philippians 2, the first part will naturally happen. And so we valued this. We saw Jesus' great love for us in the gospel and then all this fruit that naturally comes out of it and we uh, valued that as a church. And so part of our history was we tried to create structures and create our Sunday mornings and, and put it out in people's minds about this is fruit of the gospel. This is how Jesus is calling us to live because of what he's first done for us. And so part of our history is that we just uh, valued this. We tried to make this happen. We put time and resources into it. Things like we just from day one had a hospitality team. We had people who tried to make this space Welcoming and hospitable, and we had people uh, greeting at the doors, saying with a smile, Welcome to the Church. We're glad you're here. Can we answer some questions? Can we point you a certain way? Early on, when we were very uh, small, we had couches. This whole fireside room was filled with big, comfy, used, kind of dirty <laughs> couches and chairs, and people would just hang out like a big living room. We actually, uh, you're wondering, Panera, you've, you've, you've been just waiting. What is he going to say about Panera? Well, back in the day, we, uh, Panera gave away their uh, day-old food. And so um, these are literal garbage bags full of food. So this is like, you know, 30 to 100, maybe not 100, pounds of Panera. We'd get Every single week would go to Panera, would knock on their door and say, you know, on Saturday night, hey, can we have all your day-olds? And they'd give us a lot. So in this room, it was full of, you know, coffee cake and bagels and all different uh, kinds of great uh, pastries. That we would have. We had coffee mugs we would drink out of because, not just because it was cool or kind of fun, but we really wanted to embody this uh, deep love for each other, Uh, church love, a big love where Christians cared for each other, where they built deep relationships, where they served one another, where they prayed for each other and had this Christ like love. And our dream from the very beginning, some of you were at our intro to Hiawatha class where we shared a lot about our history. From the very beginning, we said we want to be a church that is known for radical, selfless love towards each other, authentic love, where we welcome people well. And by God's grace, that, that, that has been true of us as a church. We do it quite well in, in, in a lot of ways. We definitely fail at this all the time. But by God's grace, it's still something we value and that we have continued. And so um, if you are, uh, uh, if you consider Hiawatha your home at all, whether you're a member or regular tender, help us with that. We, we need everyone's help to make Hiawatha a welcoming church. It cannot just be the staff or just the pastors doing it. And by God's grace, uh, you are phenomenal at it. Welcoming people, inviting people into your homes, remembering their names, uh, going up and talking to them on Sunday mornings, inviting them into groups, and beyond also, at early days, the way that we tried to have some of this play out is we had uh, an email list uh, where we just said, you know, I think we are preaching through Acts, and in Acts 2.44, there's a verse that speaks of the early church. They had all things in common, so no one was with need. And so we said, hey, let's I don't know, let's try to do that, but let's use email. And so we had an email list, and if people needed something, needed a pickup truck, needed uh, childcare with their kids, needed to be tutored in calculus needed a Keurig for an event that they're a party they were going to throw, you could just send it out to this email. list. say, hey, Hiawatha, anyone got this? And if people did in the church and wanted to share, they could respond. It's kind of morphed into a different group that we have on our app right now. But it was a way for us to bear each other's burdens, to meet each other's needs, to sacrifice for the sake of other Christians, all because we truly did see each other as a spiritual family. And that was true of us. Jesus declared it true over us that we, As a gathered church full of redeemed believers, we're a part of his family. And by God's grace, his spirit produced lots of that church love within our church. And by God's grace, that still continues. We still strive for this. It takes a lot of work. We want to continue to get better at this. COVID, like, destroyed us in this area, made it really hard. Uh, But now, by God's grace, we're, I think, kind of coming out of that. uh, Life feels a bit more normal But we still value this type of church love to this day. So it continues in things like we have a a seniors group that meets a couple times a month. We have mom's ministry that uh, uh, Leah told you details about earlier during welcoming. We have a youth group. We have sports teams from our church. We have groups that get together and watch indie films and foreign films. We have groups that play chess together as well as we uh, ask uh, our, our leaders Dozens and dozens of staff, deacons, ministry leaders, community group leaders to put their time and resources into fostering and building and encouraging this type of Christ-like love for one another, for each other. So that's just a little snippet into Hiawatha's history and how this verse shaped us and why it's important, how it's kind of played out. But kind of behind the curtain of of why did this happen uh, were some values, some values that we had as a church coming from Jesus, that kind of led to this actually playing out, this this fruit in our ministry throughout the past 16 years. And those those values kind of related to our verse today, those three values would be just big love, a great amount of love, deep love within the church, a special type of love that's for other Christians. The second uh, value would be the reason that we have a great love for other Christians is because Jesus calls the church a spiritual family. And third, we are not just a spiritual family, but we are also the body of Christ. Actually, I didn't, I didn't mention that. That is uh, Spencer and Amy from about 15 years ago. That's Jesse, one of our pastors. And that, look, look how good that Panera was. We were very excited to eat that. Anyway, okay, so let's look at our values, Starting with the first one. Like, we, like we've kind of mentioned earlier, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them a, a special type of love. He says, love one another. Now, of course, he also says, love your neighbor. He says, love the world. But here Jesus is getting very specific. He's telling his followers to love other Christians in a special way. And that refrain repeats again and again and again and again all throughout the New Testament. And so we're called to have this, this big love, this Christ-like love within the church. Again, we're not saying don't love those outside of the church, but we're focusing in Jesus' words here that Christians are supposed to have a unique, special love for those within the church. Did you know, maybe you didn't know this, I, I uh, didn't quite know this a few years ago, but uh, over 60 times, kind of depends on the translation that you use, but about 60 times in the New Testament, Christians are called to do something to one another, 60 times. So not just love outsiders or be hospitable to uh, strangers you don't know, but the refrain over and over and over again is that Christians should love one another. So here's just a visual graphic of it if you kind of like that. Each circle is a different size based on how many times the New Testament says it. But love one another, love other Christians, I think happens like a dozen times in the New Testament, but we also have encouragements to encourage one another have compassion with one another greet one another bear in love with one another forgive one another be kind to one another show mercy towards one another etc 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 so coming out of Jesus's command his new command in John 13 and then throughout all the pages of the New Testament there's a unique and special call for Christians to especially love other believers or Galatians 6 10 says therefore as we have opportunity a letter written to Christians to a church let us work for the good of all for the good of all our whole city our whole neighborhoods our whole workplaces our whole schools and especially for those of the household of faith especially for other Christians other believers and here we get the big why the why is because we are a spiritual family Notice what it says here in Galatians 6, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Why should we especially care for those uh, other Christians? Because they are our our family. Because they are a part of our household. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think probably everyone in our culture would, would agree that you are especially responsible for those in your household in a unique way, in a way that's more than just towards a stranger. You are especially responsible to care for uh, people that are in your family or people that live in your home. Just like if I was feeding the poor in my neighborhood, if I was donating money and time and food to, to hungry kids here in South Minneapolis and my children were starving, you would rightly say, hey, that's wrong. You, you, are, you have more responsibility to keep your, your children or people in your household from starving than from strangers, this just also makes sense that Jesus is saying, Church, you are a family. You are a spiritual family adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. And because of that, especially do good to those within the household of faith. Because we are a family, it's true. Jesus has declared it over us. It's our reality. We're unified to him and to one another. Relatedly, Jesus continues. He doesn't just say, church, you are a part of my family. You are my brothers and sisters. But he also uses other symbolism, other language, and describes the church uh, as his body. In Romans 12, uh, at the beginning of Romans 12, starting in verse 5, we read, describing us, "Uh, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So Jesus calls the church his body. Here in Romans, written after Jesus' death and resurrection, we are described as we are individuals, right? And we as Americans, as Westerners, we love that. We know that well, right? We're individualistic. We're independent. But he continues, he says, we are individuals. We're individual members, but we're also part of a body. Just like your hand is called your member, or your foot is... Uh, your member of your body this is actually where we get the idea of church membership not from uh, Costco membership or a golf membership but it actually comes from this idea that you are an individual member an individual part of the whole body so it starts off in verse five helping us understand that you each individually are a member but you're connected to the whole church just as a individual member of a body is connected to the whole body And here, notice, too, he says, of one another. Again, speaking to Christians, another one of the one another's. And then he continues, because you are a part of the body, because you are not independent and alone and self-sufficient, you are one part of the body. He continues, because of that, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal be fervent in spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in affliction be persistent in prayer share with the saints in their needs pursue hospitality bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with one another rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another and so we see kind of both metaphors or both symbols here. We are, as a church, we are a spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters, and we are also a body. And so because we are a body, because we are members of Christ's body, we should do these things. Look at the one and the brothers and sisters, sharing with the saints, the saints being a descriptor of us as Christians, those who are set apart and made holy by uh, Jesus. Jesus. And so this idea that we're not only a spiritual family, but we're also a part of Jesus' body, we're his hands and feet and mouth and ears, this helps us understand tougher passages. So maybe you think about one of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 25, where he says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And politicians use this verse, popular culture uses this verse, but I left out a phrase in there, what Jesus says, Whatever you have done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you have done to me. Which makes sense, right? If the church is a body, whatever we do to the body when we serve, when we feed, when we clothe, when we visit, when we love the body of Christ, we love Christ. So Jesus saying whatever you do to members of my spiritual family in a very real way, you do to me. Or maybe you remember this, this guy named Saul who was persecuting the church. He was oppressing them, locking up them in prison, murdering them. He's on his way to do more of that. Jesus knocks him off his horse, and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So as Saul is persecuting and oppressing and, and uh, doing violence towards Christians, Jesus says Saul's doing that to him. Saul's doing that to Jesus, which makes sense, right? If Jesus... It identifies himself in his body, in the church, in his family. And these other passages make more sense. So we're all, West, most of us are Westerners. We're very imperial, or imperialistic, that's not the right word, scientific. We like what we can see. So this is kind of hard for us, but in a very real way, in a very mystical and spiritual yet fully true way, we see, feel, and experience Jesus through his body, through the church. Of course, we experience Jesus through his sacraments and through his word, of course, but today we're speaking about the church and our unique love for others within the church. But in a very mystical and spiritual way, we don't fully understand it, yet also fully true way, we see, feel, and experience Jesus through his body. His body here on earth. His tangible, physical body. Here's a picture of Hiawatha Church right now. This is the body of Christ. This is Jesus' body right there. Or a picture of it. This is actually taken during Easter. So if you're wondering, hey, did Brian take that picture from the base uh, this morning? No, this is a, or, or, you know, look at that picture or just look around the room. This is the body of Christ. This is Jesus' tangible, physical presence here in this room. And in a very real way, that's also mystical and spiritual and hard to understand, when we see, hear, and feel, and experience the body of Christ, we're experiencing and feeling and seeing Jesus. Let me give you some examples of this. When we see an elder or an overseer preach, we're hearing from Jesus' words to us. When we have a Hiawatha and welcome us into their life or into their home, and we feel their hospitality, that's Jesus welcoming you in a very real and tangible way, welcoming you, showing you his hospitality. When you hear a teacher explain the word of God, those words are also the words of Christ. When others in your community group help unpack a spiritual truth as you study his word, that too is hearing Jesus speak to you through his mouthpieces, through his body. When another another fellow Hiawathan speaks love and grace and encouragement into your life, in a very real way, that is Jesus speaking to you. We also feel Jesus' presence through his body. When you have a hand on your shoulder when someone prays over you, that's the touch of Jesus in a very real way as he shows you his love. As you receive a hug or an embrace, whether in times of mourning and lament or whether in times of rejoicing, in a very real way, that's Jesus' body. Jesus himself, showing you love, feeling his embrace. Or maybe, or also, when you experience not feeling alone, when you gather with the church in big and small ways, or when others, uh, other Christians show you and tell you that you are wanted, you are chosen, you're loved, and they show friendship and love towards you in a very real way, Jesus is offering that to you as well through his body. Or when you feel safe and secure and protected in the relationship or the presence of other believers, you're getting to feel and experience Jesus' own safety and security and protection that he offers you. Some of you know this already, but my my story the past couple years has been unbelievably tough for my family. My son was born four months premature. He was uh, a pound Less than a foot, we lived in the NICU for nearly a year. It was an unbelievably horrible time in our lives. And yet, we saw, we felt, we heard, we experienced Jesus' love, of course, through his word. But through his people, through you, through nearly every person in this room, through your prayers, through your words, through your gifts, through your embraces, through your texts. In a very, very real, true way, we experienced Jesus in our deepest sufferings, maybe our hardest year of our entire lives. And I'll just be very blunt and honest with you. I I understand why marriages break up in such traumatic situations or when people go through great hardship. I, I understand why people get addicted to things, why they become apathetic, why they run away from their families or their lives. Because apart from Christ, that type of suffering is crippling. But by God's grace, he used his body, he used his church, he used his family to care for my, to care for my family very well. And by God's grace, uh, we've felt close to him. We've actually never had stronger faith in our lives nor felt uh, more close to him because he used his body, because of the people in this room, because of our church family. So I want to ask you this morning, are you feeling distant from Jesus? Are you, feeling, are you feeling like he is far from you? My question to you would be, are you close to him? Are you close to him through his people? We're so tempted to believe, because this is so just foreign to our minds and the way life works. We're tempted to believe that Jesus is far off, that he's not answering my prayers, that he doesn't care when life is tough, when things are going bad, when our mental health is struggling when we're being beaten up by our sin. Yet at the same time, we have Christians deep in our lives who are caring for us. And Jesus wants us to know that disconnect is not from him. If you are close to his people, you are close to his body. You are close to him. And so don't, he's telling us today, don't think that he's far from you, even though you're sitting next to his body right now and you're receiving encouragement from his people right now in a very real yet spiritual and mystical way he is present in his body and so as you are close to his people jesus is saying he is close to you through them now if you're feeling that way that's very normal not to make you feel bad about that we all feel that all the time little secret right now everyone almost everyone is just not doing very well right the pandemic's been really hard We have an enemy that's trying to make us feel distracted and alone and like no one wants to to be around us and like we're on the outside. We have our own sinful hearts that fight against us. But Jesus is saying, I am close to you. I love you. Experience and hear and feel and see my love for you through my body, through my people. So our encouragement to you, to all of us, is to invest in Like Jesus said, invest in one another. Invest in community. Invest in one another in big and small ways, formal and informal ways. On Sundays and throughout the week, invest in other Christians, intentionally connecting with Jesus through Jesus' body. Love other Christians because and as he has first loved us. And this plays out in a hundred different ways here at our church, including things like community groups and the mom's ministry and other stuff that we announced earlier this morning, our seniors group, our youth group, community, friendship, sports teams, family friends, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, this this is tough stuff. It doesn't come naturally for us. Again, because we're sinful, because we have an enemy, because friendship is just tough. It's just hard. hard. If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have to tell his disciples to love one another. If it was easy, it wouldn't be repeated 60 plus times, this focus that we need to love and care for and forgive one another. Let's not stop there. The reason we have these three values, which led to our history and life right now, comes out of our theology, comes out of Jesus' teachings towards us, not just in John 13, but beyond so as we were going over this verse, maybe you were wondering, Jesus says, I give you a new command. And maybe you're just wondering, why does he call it a new command? What's new about this? Maybe you don't know much about Christianity or you're not a Christian, but maybe you just know, hey, like, I think kind of all religions, like, on the top of their list is, like, love other people, right? Or maybe you know stuff about the Old Testament, where in God's law, uh, we are commanded to love each other, love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what's new here about this? Jesus is looking into his disciples' eyes saying, guys, something new here. Something new. Listen carefully. So what is new about this? First thing is, is that this type of love is unique. This is a type of love that is distinct. It's a reflective love. Jesus says, love one another as I have first loved you. So if you want to know how to love or what this love is going to look like, we look to Christ. So let me kind of compare these two things. What makes this a new command? What makes Jesus different than everything else out there? Because other religions say to love. So how is what Jesus is saying here different? So religion in general, a particular religion or just all religions say, do this and you will live. Follow these rules pray a certain way, give a certain way, sacrifice a certain way, and you will live. You will be blessed, you will be enlightened, you will survive, you will have an afterlife. But the gospel says this, Jesus already loved you through his death so that you will live. Right? With religion, do this and you will live. Well, what happens if you don't do it enough? What happens if you stop doing it? What happens if you screw up? But with the gospel, Jesus says, I already loved you. The, the, the love part has been done, has been accomplished, and so now you will live. And because Jesus' love will never change, you losing life, life now and life eternal, life with God, is secure. Religion says, love God with all your being. Right? Deny yourself sacrifice, pray more, give up more possessions, show more religious zeal. Love God with all your being. But the gospel says, Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. Jesus loved you when you hated him. Jesus loved you when you were his enemy, when you were running away from him. Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. Now, because of that, we will naturally respond to that scandalous mercy with loving our Savior. Religion says, love others well enough and you will be blessed. But the gospel says, You've already been loved. You've already been chosen. You've already been blessed by the one being in the universe that you are especially created to be in relationship with. And so now you're freed and empowered to share that love with others. They seem very simple, but they couldn't be farther from the truth, gospel and religion. Religion says our works are at the base of who we are. Religion says at the base of the, the the roots of my value, the roots of my identity are in my work, in what I do. So if I work really hard, if I follow all the religious rules, if I deny myself and sell my possessions and get enlightened, that leads towards who I am. My value comes out of what I do. Do it well enough and perfect enough and constantly enough, and you're good. Until you're not, until you stop, until you forget until you make a mistake but jesus's good news is that the foundation of who you are is not your works the roots of of your identity your worth your value is his works which will never change will never change jesus's gospel is that his works his love for us and his following all the commandments perfectly will give us our identity, our place, our value. It is Jesus' works that is the root of our salvation, not our own works being our root. And because of that, it now Jesus says this will happen. Naturally, something will grow out of that. Fruit will grow out of that. Our, our good deeds, our, our love for one another, the New Testament describes as fruit. This fruit of love that will be a natural response for being connected to the vine, to use other John language. As our song uh, we sang just a few minutes ago, it's not I, but it's Christ in me. And so this passage here, uh, this is actually pre-cross. It's before Jesus dies and is is risen from the grave, but this is leading right up to it. It's right before this happens. And so we see when Jesus says, uh, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. When he says, just as I have loved you, we can understand that to be his whole life and now what he's just about to do, his death and his resurrection. This helps us then understand that the commands, this command here, this new command as well as the rest of the commands in the New Testament are fruit from this new life, are fruit from the gospel. These imperatives for us flow out of the gospel. Or another way to say it, the motivation, the changed heart, the reason I want to do it, as well as the power or the ability to do it, all of that comes out of the gospel. It's a fruit of Jesus being our roots, his gospel being the foundation of our identity and who we are. So Let me give you some examples to this. Okay, just like Jesus said, love because I have first loved you, the whole New Testament is like this. Let me just give you ten examples here. Welcome one another because Christ has first welcomed you. Romans 15. Forgive others in Christ because you have first been forgiven. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. Serve one another because Christ came to be a servant to all. Lay down your life for our brothers and sisters because he first laid down his life for you and me. Please your neighbor for his good. Build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. Romans 15. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4. Be merciful because Christ has first shown you mercy. Be generous because Jesus was generous with you. Do you see? Unlike religion, these are not just the things that we do. And other religions have other lists, other rules. These aren't just like random characteristics But rather, they have first been done for us, which also means that they are pictures of the gospel. So when you do any of these things, you're not just following your God's rules and other people have different gods. You're actually responding to the exact thing that's been done to you first. And then in doing so, you're showing yourself and everyone watching a picture of Jesus and his gospel Another way to say it might be God in, in in history past wasn't just flipping a coin and saying, okay, should I have my people bow down on mats? Um, Okay, that's a no. Okay, uh, Should I have my people love one another? And he flipped it. Oh, that one's yes. Yeah, so I'm going to put love one another on my list. He flips it again on uh, should my people chant a lot? Oh, it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't as if all these New Testament imperatives and commands are just kind of arbitrary as if, Some religions have some, some religions have others, but Jesus is making it very clear, you have been loved with a scandalous, unbelievable love, and your your response to that will look just like it. And then they describe a hundred different ways that these one another's will play out after being changed by Jesus's love. Now here's where it gets practical, right? Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, but... I've lived around some of these people in this room. I'm in community with some of these. I live with some of the people in these rooms. What happens when they hurt me? Because they're gonna hurt me. Maybe they've let you down already this morning. Maybe they've sinned against you even just in the past few minutes. The truth is, relationship is messy. Community is messy. If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have, have it have Jesus wouldn't have had to tell us to think of the gospel which will lead us to forgive each other, and to show mercy, and to be quick to forgive. Just like in an even healthy family, there's conflict, right? If you're part of a family, I'm sure you've experienced conflict in your family. Even in a healthy family, there's conflict, there's hurt, there's letdown, there's sin. This is going to be true of our reality, living as a church, as the family of God, as the body of Christ as well. And that's been our story as well, both In the the story I shared earlier about our year in the NICU, we were let down, we were hurt, we were even sinned against at times, as well as just normal church life. I'm sure it would not be hard for all of you to write down 10 ways people in this room or other Christians have wronged you. But it is in these moments when we are tempted to run, tempted to close up, tempted to retreat, tempted to fight back or to sin towards those who have hurt us, we're tempted to ev- never open our hearts again because it just hurts too bad to get rejected again, ignored again, hurt again. It's in those moments, which are very real moments, and we all experience those because we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, who wants us to feel separated and on the outside. We have our own sin <laughs> issues. So this is our, all of our realities, at least at some point. It is in those moments when we're tempted to run and hide and close up the solution is not to just retreat to self-preservation, as our culture would say, nor is it just a set of rules, as religion would say. You're hurt, but just follow this rule and forgive because you have to or else. It's neither of those. Rather, the solution, when community gets hard, when you get hurt, when you get uh, let down, when people sin against you, the solution is the gospel. The solution is remembering Jesus' love towards you towards us especially at the cross and let that love change you what we just saw here jesus doesn't just say forgive because that's my rule and you better or else he says forgive because you've already been forgiven of something a bazillion times greater he doesn't just say show mercy towards the person that owes you something because they sinned against you and let you down. He says, show mercy, be merciful towards others, because Christ has first shown you mercy. We serve others, not just because we have to, but because Christ has first done that for us. So the solution to church hurt, the solution to living in a family with imperfect people, to being a part of a body that still has remnants of disease and infection in it, the solution is not more rules, nor running away, both of which are very tempting all the time. But the solution is the gospel. And that's what we're trying to do here at Hiawatha. Very imperfectly, we're not great at this (laughs) sometimes, but by God's grace, this is what we're trying to do. Link arms with each other. Link arms with our brothers and sisters. Link arms with fellow members of the body. Can you do that? That's maybe mixing metaphors. Uh, We're linking arms with each other, and the watching, lonely, hurting, broken world, and even ourselves when we see this are going to be attracted to that Jesus that we are picturing and to that Jesus that is within us. So we wrap up here. Maybe you're asking the question, okay, this is great, but man, geez, guys, you're kind of just like only focused on yourselves. Like, isn't that kind of one of Christianity's, you know, culture's knocks on Christianity that they just only care about themselves? Well, of course, we have, talked a lot about how this is important to Jesus. He calls us to do it, so it is a big deal. But the next verse in our passage, the next verse after John 13, 34, helps us see what the fruit of this big love will be. What's going to be the natural outpouring? What's going to be the result if the church, when the church, Jesus is behind it, he's going to do it, it's going to happen. What's the result of the church living as a body, living as a spiritual body? family let me read our verse today in context starting verse 33 jesus says little children yet a little while i am with you you will seek me and just as i said to the jews so now i also say to you where i'm going you cannot come so jesus is about to die be resurrected and ascend to be with the father then our verse today so he says to them a new command i give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Verse 35, And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what is the fruit? What is the result of this type of Christ-like love happening within a group of Christians? It's evangelism. It's mission. It's conversion. It's people being drawn to Jesus by seeing his love. We and our world, we're hurting really bad right now. I don't have to convince you of that. We're lonely, we're divided, we're isolated, we're discouraged. And so Christians living as a family, an imperfect yet deeply Christ-loved, filled family, Christians living as members of a body will be a Uh, powerfully attractive to the watching world and to ourselves as well. Our world will see our good works, especially the good works of us caring deeply, not just for strangers or faceless people out there in the world, but caring for our family deeply well and they'll be drawn towards that. And this happens all the time, whether you realize it or not. There's people in this room right now and there's people in our community groups and in our lives, our neighborhoods, our friend groups, our birthday parties, our happy hours that that say, hey, you guys at Hiawatha, you Christians, man, you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You guys are nuts. You believe myths and fairy tales. And I even think some of what you teach and believe, I think it's even harmful. But I'm attracted to you guys. I, I, I want to be around you. I'm drawn to you guys, even though on paper or in my head I think, I should not like those people. And we would say, well, we're not special. We're actually really not special at us. We're really not special at all. But what you're seeing is Jesus in us. <laughs> That's all we got, right? Is, is, I'm not a great person. I'm pretty selfish and arrogant and, you know, a moron. Apart from Jesus, you don't like me. You actually really like Jesus within me. And so this happens all the time is people are drawn Towards us, Even while they hate the message, even while they think it's absolutely ridiculous, they're drawn towards us because they're drawn towards Jesus. Because of what Jesus promised would happen here in John 13. And so all this talk about loving other Christians is very evangelistic, is very missional. It's, it's one of the main tools, one of the main means by which Jesus is going to reach more people, save more people, rescue more people is he's going to use us loving each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your love for us is not conditional. That John 13 starts with the first thing that happened chronologically is Christ died for us. Jesus loved us first while we were unlovable. And now naturally, he's putting his spirit within us. He's making us his physical body here on earth. And love for others will come and the world will see it and we will see it and we'll be able to know your love for us even better by the love that we see and hear and experience and feel within the church. God, I pray for the countless ways this has not happened. We pray that you would forgive us of that. We pray you would make Hiawatha look more and more like you. We pray you'd convict us of our sins and help us to repent. Of those, And we pray for those in this room who are deeply hurt by other Christians. That they would see that that was not from you, but that you are close to them. That you are very close to them. That you love them deeply. And you're doing that through your word, through your spirit, through your people. And for those in this room who haven't believed yet, God, we pray that you would help them to see your scandalous yet unbelievable love through your people. Uh, through your people's words through their actions through their forgiveness and their hospitality through their generosity and selflessness and God in all of this we know we are uh, incapable of, of, of doing anything great apart from you so we pray for more of your spirit more faith in you more trust in your gospel more love for each other that you would be glorified in all of this and you would make our church a healthy place because it is where you are and you bring health and flourishing, and joy, and we thank you and praise you for that good news.